Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. And a very warm welcome, Shana Tova. It's uh, a new year, new opportunities, new energy. Let's hope. Let's hope that it's a positive energy. It's still in the making because we're at that period between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Of course, Yom Kippur being tomorrow. And that's when it all gets finalized. That's when we work out what exactly the year is going to be like. I was speaking to somebody. I said, I guess it happens every year. There's always somebody who says, as I said to him, so how was your Rosh Hashanah? They said, we'll see. We'll see. Ask me next year. <laughs> Which I suppose is a pretty honest answer. So the question for you is the same question. How was your Rosh Hashanah? Did we get off to a good start? I think it was uh, feedback from many people is that it was an inspiring, good attendance kind of a Yom Tov. People were around, people were engaged, people were involved. And I certainly hope that that was your experience. And I certainly hope that that will be your experience as we go into Yom Kippur tomorrow. I know there's this incredible dread that some people have when they see Yom Kippur on the calendar. Because it's uh, a long fast and because it's a lot of time in shul and reading in a foreign language, etc. To be perfectly honest, I think it's a fantastic time of the year. I really do. It's a time where people pull together. It's a time of unity. There's an energy in the shul over Yom Kippur, despite the fact that people are fasting. There's a certain optimism as well that goes with Yom Kippur. The optimism, knowing that you have the opportunity to get a fresh start, that you have the opportunity to clean the slate. So it's a good time of the year. It's a time of the year that we should embrace. Uh, perhaps it's a, a factor of getting older that Yom Kippur is not as long as it used to be. <laughs> you know, it used to feel like it uh, dragged on for hours and hours. But in in context, 24 hours, or it's a little bit more than that. We fast just over 25 hours. It's not a really long time, if you think about it, the way our days whiz by. Although I suppose, on the other hand, that's a lot of it to do has to do with the fact that we're running frenetically from place to place, and we're always on our gadgets, and we're distracted by technology, and none of that is available on Yom Kippur. So that might be one reason why it does feel just a little bit longer. But nonetheless, the point of the matter is it's a really positive and really powerful time. And I'm interested to hear... If you have a specific take or specific favorite or a specific angle about Yom Kippur, just before we get started on the conversation today, but what, what would you say is the selling point? What would you say is the highlight? What for you is the uniqueness of Yom Kippur? So let's, let's start our conversation with that. Three, four, five, one, nine. If you'd like to SMS in, otherwise you can WhatsApp on 062. 062- one four eight two three seven four. And for those people who have our numbers saved in your phones, you should know that there is a new studio number and it's zero one zero one four zero thirty twenty. So it's O one O one four O thirty twenty. So what would you say? Let's just get that conversation started. What would you say is the unique element of Yom Kippur, the unique selling point, the most uh, exciting part of it for you? I'd love to hear your views on that. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So, yes, uh, what is it? About, I don't know, let's not count how many hours it is until the fast begins because that will get everybody all nervous. But I'm sure that many of you will agree with me. There's a lot of positive energy that is around or involved with 
the experience and the celebration of Yom Kippur. So if you've got something to say about that, just what makes it positive for you, what's a highlight for you, I'd love to hear it. It's not going to be our main conversation today. In fact, what I'd like to talk about today, it's uh, something that I've been talking about a lot with a number of people over, I suppose it's normal to talk about these things at this time of the year, but we throw terms around. One of the terms that we throw around a lot at this time of the year is the term Teshuvah. And every year when when we come back to it, every single year, it always, I, I'm fascinated by the fact that there's always another perspective. You study a little further, you read another particular commentary, and you get a whole different angle and a whole different perspective on what Teshuva is. So I thought it'd be good to talk about that because it's practical. It's what we're supposed to be doing at this time of the year. And I think there's a perception where people box Teshuva into one particular mode as if to say that that's everything that Teshuva is all about. So if you had to ask the average person what Teshuva is all about, I, I can imagine we'd get certain stock standard answers. In fact, maybe you've got a definition of what Teshuva is. I can already see those key words that are coming, the people who know the word that's not quite the word that everybody uses for Teshuvah. So that's probably what's going to come first. But if you had to define, if you had to explain, not just a one-word definition, but if you had to explain to somebody what Teshuvah is, how do you do it? How do you know if you've successfully completed the process of Teshuvah? So what would you say? I think it's interesting to get a lot of perspective on that. Three, four, five, one, nine, if you want to share a nice, succinct message via uh, SMS. You can tweet at FM. You can tweet me at dire- directly at Rabbi Shish. Bearing in mind, of course, that uh, tweets are currently at 140 characters, but before you know it, they might be doubling that to 280 characters, and we can have full conversations. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. That could be subject to another whole conversation. You can also WhatsApp. I think the WhatsApp is a really great way to interact on 0621482374. Because one thing is for certain, when we say the word Teshuvah, perhaps what comes to my mind and what comes to your mind is something completely different. We understand that there's an element of Teshuvah that is very spiritual, but we understand that there's an element of Teshuvah that is very pragmatic. We understand that Teshuvah might sound like quite a religious concept. We also understand that Teshuvah might be a universal principle. So depending on where you stand and how you see things and what your particular experience is and perhaps what your expectation is of yourself or maybe even your expectation of other people, you could have a completely different perspective of Teshuvah from the next person. And because we're going into Yom Kippur, we know that one of the big segments of Yom Kippur is to to repeat consistently. Numerous times throughout uh, the whole of Yom Kippur, we repeat what is called the Al-Chait, where you have a long litany of all the different things that a person may have done wrong, and we beat our chests, etc. So I think for many people, that is often what frames for them what Teshuvah is, that it's about this heavy introspective. And I'm not saying it isn't. I think it's really important. Not only really important, it it is the key. The key of Teshuvah is to be introspective. If you're not in touch with who you are, where you're holding, what's going on in your life, then there's no honest way that you can actually move forward from there or that you can repair damage. I mean, if a person is not willing to acknowledge that there's a problem, then there's no way that they're going to fix that problem. And I think that that might be the place to start. So whether you have a particular definition of Teshuvah that you think might be unique or different to what everybody else thinks, and in that case, I'd love to hear what your definition is. But one thing is for certain that Teshuvah has to start from a position of awareness. There has to be some element of self-awareness. And sometimes you look around in today's world and you wonder if people possibly lack enough self-awareness to actually do Teshuvah. Now, again, we'll still talk about what Teshuvah is and what the concept is supposed to represent. And I'm certainly hoping that you'll give some insight into that. But before we get to that, 
just to pause for a few moments on this concept of taking personal responsibility. I saw a great line actually quoted in Shul on Rosh Hashanah, a line from Benjamin Franklin where he says, He who is good at making excuses is generally not good at much else. <laughs> and I think that that talks very much to the heart of the concept of Teshuvah, specifically in today's world. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I get the sense that in today's world, people are quicker to excuse their bad behavior than perhaps it was a few decades ago, certainly a few centuries ago. There's this overwhelming sense of expecting those around us to accept our behavior rather than for us to take responsibility for that behavior. And in certain contexts, it's possibly acceptable. And in other contexts, it could be outright dangerous. So, for example, there's a cartoon that was doing the rounds and it's got two frames in it. In the first frame, there's a parent and the child, who's obviously just come from home from school, the report card, is holding up this piece of paper that has on it a, an E or an F. And the parent is shouting at the child and says, you need to pull up your socks. And then underneath the frame, it says 1980s. In the next frame, it's the 21st century, and the child has this report card with an F, and the parent is shouting at the teacher and saying, you need to pull up your socks. And it's it's quite insightful because it, I think it says a lot about the nature of our society. There was a time where it was quite normal that if a person ha- wasn't doing well at a particular thing in life or if a person had let themselves down, let other people down, was behaving in a, a, a non-conformist or an unacceptable way, there was an expectation that society had that that person had to pull up their socks. That you're, you're not playing ball. You're not behaving the way the people are expected to behave. So you've got to do some work over there. You've got to improve your act. Whereas it feels often that in today's world, if a person is behaving differently, and I'm not saying that we all have to have a herd mentality and do everything that everybody else does. In fact, on the contrary, I think it's uh, one of the big things about Judaism is to celebrate the uniqueness of the human being. So I'm not talking about losing your identity. But when a person does something that is reprehensible, then it almost feels in today's world as if you can't call people out on that. You can't say that is reprehensible. You can't, you can't, you can't criticize it. You can't say negative about it. And therefore, as a result, people who could be put into a position to say, no, put up your socks, are being put into a position where society rallies around them and says, well, you don't understand their circumstances, their background, what they're dealing with, so on and so forth. And therefore, we excuse bad behavior. Now, the cornerstone of Teshuvah is that you don't excuse bad behavior. You don't. That's why we stand up on Yom Kippur and we say verbally, you're not supposed to just scan it with your eyes. You're actually supposed to say the words because we all know cognitively, psychologically, we all know what happens when you say it. There are all kinds of things that live inside our minds and inside our hearts. Nobody else knows about them, and we ourselves don't necessarily have the guts to verbalize them. Because when you actually say it, it becomes concretized. It becomes something that's real, and now I've got to deal with this. So the first step you'll notice in the one of the one of the first steps you'll notice in the Yom Kippur process is that you actually have to say those words, the sin that I sinned in this particular way. That's the first step towards taking responsibility, to actually verbalize that what I did was wrong. And I don't know if that's such a popular position in today's world for people to actually get up and say, well, what I did 
was wrong. Sometimes it's really, really difficult, especially when it's interpersonal. I know if it's between you and God, so it's hard enough to say the words, but the fact of the matter is nobody really knows about it, so you're not overly exposed. But when it's between you and somebody else, it becomes all that much more difficult to be able to actually say what I did was wrong. And perhaps that's the reason why Faribles endure, because nobody is willing or nobody has the capacity to confront head on what happened, what my contribution was to that particular thing happening. And so we get stuck. We get stuck in cycles of bad behavior. So that's one of the key elements of Yom Kippur. This is an opportunity for us to take ownership of the things that went wrong, to look ourselves in the mirror, give ourselves a clap on the chest, which is like a wake-up call and saying, no, this isn't okay. It's not okay. What else would you think are the key steps to doing Teshuvah? And what do you think that Teshuvah means other than, of course, the overused word repentance? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. 34519 if you're going to SMS us. Could WhatsApp as well on 0621482374 or tweet at FM. Tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Almost 23 minutes past 2 o'clock Thursday afternoon. It's fresh thinking. You are with Rabbi Shishler. We're preparing for Yom Kippur because you have to. I hope you've been hydrating. That's really important. Even though the weather forecast, they say, is not too bad, actually. Favorable fasting conditions. Seems like we might have a bit of rain and not all the most scorching temperatures. That's good. But still, hydrate, really, really valuable for the, for Yom Kippur, for the fast. But the truth of the matter is, we're preparing over here in a different way, I suppose, in the most important way that you're supposed to prepare for Yom Kippur. We're talking about Teshuvah. And I asked you the question, what does Teshuvah mean? What does it mean to you? Not just a translation. What does it mean to you? In practical terms, in practical terms, how do you know that you've actually done Teshuvah? Is it because you walk out of Yom Kippur and you don't feel that you have to eat the minute that it's over? Is it because you beat your chest hard enough that you've got an indentation on your shirt? How do you know that you've actually done what Teshuvah is all about. So that's part of what we're going to talk about. I mentioned that for me, one of the key elements of Teshuvah is taking responsibility, not trying to excuse bad behavior, but actually taking responsibility. Here's a WhatsApp that says Teshuvah is from the word, sorry, from the root Shuv, which means to return to Hashem by way of returning to our essence. To be who we really are behind all the layers of sin and distance that we've created between ourselves and Hashem. Now, that's a very profound insight into what Teshuvah is. And it's a very refreshing change from that overused word repentance. Repentance sounds like, you know, you have to apologize. You've been really out of line. This is an acceptable behavior, something like that. Whereas return implies that you are fundamentally the way that you should be. Things are actually good, but you've gotten a little bit distracted, a little bit lost along the way. And here's your opportunity to find your way home, which I think is an excellent translation of the word Teshuvah. Or better than translation, it's an, it's an insight into what Teshuvah is. So yes, that's, that's a great one. Now my question to you is, so how do you know you've done it? 
How do you know that you've succeeded in Teshuvah? If it's this return to essence, if it's getting past all the layers of, of separation that we create, it's like any other relationship, by the way. In any relationship whatsoever, there might be a very healthy core relationship, but then what happens is you go and you, you do things that the other person really disapproves of or that you know gets their back up. And because of that, there's some kind of distance that's created in the relationship. And then what you've got to do is you've got to find your way back home. So, it's very similar in our relationship with Hashem. Question is, how do you know that you've got there? How do you know that you've done it? And that's important because, like anything, you want to be able to measure a result. So, so how do you measure that particular result? Here's an SMS from Chaim who says, the highlight Oh, the highlight. <laughs> it's two different words. The highlight is next year in Jerusalem, the song at the end. Shana Tava and a meaningful fast to you. Well, thank you, Chaim, and a meaningful fast to you also. One of my questions was, what for you is the uniqueness? What for you is the highlight of Yom Kippur? So, yes, uh, next year in Jerusalem at the end, I think many people find the end of Yom Kippur to be very uplifting and to be very, very powerful. So, uh, yes, Chaim, I'm definitely with you on that one. Talking about Teshuvah, and let's get that conversation flowing. I'd love to hear more insights about what you think Teshuvah is. How do you know that you've succeeded in doing it? What does it mean to you? Have you ever had an experience in your life where this was the time that you could put your finger on it and say, yes, I actually did Teshuvah properly this time. But I think the first place to start is this concept of taking responsibility, that it's nobody else's fault. We do that a lot. We do that a lot. How often do you hear people saying things like, well, I know I shouldn't have, but, and the moment you put in a but, you've undone the I know that I shouldn't have. The moment you put in the but, you've essentially said, there were circumstances, there's a rationalization, and therefore it actually was not negative behavior. And the moment you say it wasn't really negative behavior, then effectively what you've done is you've excused it for the next time. You've now given it a stamp of approval. So it's a mistake that we make a lot. A person will say, I know I shouldn't have eaten that. Let's just use an example that's a little bit more innocuous, right? So I, I know I shouldn't have eaten that, but I was in such a bad space. I just needed to pick me up. Well, if you're saying that, then effectively you've opened the door to be able to do the same thing again. Next time that you feel a little bit under the weather, down, uh, lonely, whatever the particular case is. So we've got to be really, really careful about that. Whereas a person who says, I know I shouldn't have eaten that, and I was feeling down at the time, but I know that I shouldn't allow that to cause me. Right, so that's where it's now. You're on a path to to movement. Now you can actually tackle something. You can actually make a difference. I'm using an example that's not really an, a Yom Kippur example. I mean, it's not. You know, if a person ate too much chocolate, I, I haven't yet seen that in the Al Khait. Although there is a concept in Judaism that to to be gluttonous is a sin. So be aware of that. One of the things on the list of Yom Kippur is sins that we committed with food and drink. So there is that concept. It's not only about eating non-kosher food product. It is also about eating in a gluttonous fashion. So there is part to that. But, but think about it. How often is it we say, I know I shouldn't have spoken about that person, but. I know I shouldn't have lost my cool, but. I know I shouldn't have gone, done, seen, said, Felt, but. Uh, that word but is an incredible word. It can, it can really undo anything. Actually, some time ago I heard a story, and uh, it was a story of the late Rabbi J.J. Hecht, the father of our Rabbi Hecht here in Chabad of Santon. And apparently he was uh, driving, somebody was driving him somewhere, and he, he opened up 
a mail that he had received from somebody and that it was this long series of accolades telling him what a wonderful person he is and how amazing a job he had done, etc., etc., etc. And right at the end, it said, but, and then the person put their particular criticism or complaint. And he made the comment that he had heard from the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe that in America they have a particular word. It's called but. It has the ability to destroy everything. <laughs> and if you think about that, you know, when a person says, I don't mean to insult you, but or when a person says, I would love to, but or when a person says, I know I should not have, but it's an incredibly destructive term. So one of the things that we do need to think about when we talk about this concept of teshuva is to get rid of the but to actually own it, say it's behavior that I should not have gotten myself involved in and. There is no but. There is no excuse. Excuses are not healthy for me. They don't help me. The person who's following a toxic lifestyle, the person who's eating themselves in, into, into diabetes or the person who's smoking themselves to death, it doesn't help to say but. It's not going to change your reality. It's not a healthy thing. It's got to change. So there's one of the steps that we could talk about in context of Tisha. I'd love to hear if you've got some other thoughts on that. 34519 if you're going to SMS. Otherwise, you can WhatsApp 0621482374. And some tweets. We haven't had any tweets yet today at Chai FM or at Rabbi Shish. We usually get some tweets. So let's see if we can have some of those as well. The high holy days are almost upon us And Genesis All Sweet Hotel in Fairmount Johannesburg is offering you this special offer Okay, so here we go Stay for four nights And you only pay for three That's right, you heard correctly Stay for four nights And you only pay for three You could be near friends and family for the Chagim this year All you have to do is contact Genesis All Sweet Hotel Either through their website www.genesishotel.co.za Or call Genesis All Sweet Hotels on 011-274-5300 we also have warm messages from Blue Label Telecoms. On Yom Kippur this year, may your prayers be heard and may you be blessed with all that is good. Blue Label Telecoms wishes you, your family, and the Jewish community an easy and a meaningful fast. Gemar Chatima Tova. Just gone 29 minutes to the hour here on Fresh Thinking. You are with Rabbi Shishla. This is prep for Yom Kippur. It's quite important to prep for Yom Kippur, don't you think? Otherwise, you arrive on the day and you're just trying to get into it. In fact, somebody came over to me at the beginning of Rosh Hashanah this year. We were about to start the service and somebody came over to me and said, you know, I'm really, I'm really not ready for this. So uh, I said, well, you've got, you've got some time. That's why we have 48 hours of uh, Rosh Hashanah to give you the opportunity to get into the swing of things. So it's the same kind of thing with Yom Kippur. If you're not ready by the time Kul Nidre starts, you still have time until the last chauffeur blast at the end so but why wait till the last minute when you can do it now so that's what we're doing we're doing some prep getting ourselves into the right mode for Yom Kippur talking specifically today about the concept of Teshuvah I'm trying to extract it out of that parochial uh, religious context that people usually associate with the word Teshuvah as if to say it's not relevant to me personally and trying to translate it into just practically so so what does it mean for you what is Teshuva for you? So we've got one step so far, which is take ownership of what you did wrong. Take responsibility. We did have a WhatsApp saying that Teshuva means to return to your essence. So you've created some kind of boundary or some kind of distance between yourself and God by negative behavior. Fine. So now peel away those layers. Um, my question is how? How do we peel away the layers? Another SMS here from Devorah that says this is the year of truth on 
truth and honesty. If possible, walk away from abuse and being walked on even if it means being alone. Well, there's an interesting a really interesting concept about Teshuvah. It's so interesting that we never think that Teshuvah could also be not just me fixing myself, but it could be me stepping out of my current situation. That's, uh, yeah, that's that's a possible, I, I like that. That's really interesting what Devorah is saying over here, that sometimes Teshuvah means to acknowledge that the situation I'm in, the circumstances that I'm in, the relationship that I'm in is toxic. And I need to take ownership. Again, what happens in a toxic relationship? It's a perfect example of what I was talking about before. Toxic relationships, a person says, I know I deserve to be treated better, but I know that it's not right that that person abuses me, but. So the cornerstone, as I said, of Teshuvah is to get rid of that but, to say, this is unacceptable. Can't continue. I was actually thinking about it the other day. How do you translate? Because the, the Rambam, there, the Maimonides writes in his very intriguing insights into Jewish law. So he writes in the section of Teshuvah that how do you know what Teshuvah is? He says step one of Teshuvah is regret. Now you can't regret something that you excuse. Can't. Regret means that you feel you never want to go there again. So I was trying to think of an example of what in a modern context, what does real regret feel like? I remember somebody once saying that it's like a, a mother, first-time mother who puts a child into the bath and the bath is too hot. Yes, that's real regret. You can be absolutely certain that that mother is going to be vigilant for the rest of all of her children's lives that that bath water is never too hot. That's true regret. There's no but over there. No, the mother doesn't say, well, I, I thought that the water was okay, but that's not what she says. She's screaming and yelling and going out of her mind because her child is in pain and she feels the terrible, overwhelming guilt of having been the one to cause it. So it's a, it's a really real, tangible kind of regret. But I was thinking in a modern context that a, an equivalent kind of regret would be when you send that disparaging email to the person it's about. Say, so you were supposed to send the email to somebody else. Or you were supposed to post something on a particular WhatsApp group and you accidentally sent the email to the wrong person, the worst person to have been that you could possibly have sent it to. Or you uh, or you put it posted on the wrong group. In fact, I was I was uh, looking around and I came across an interesting list of people. I don't remember all of the examples offhand of people who really put their foot in it by saying things that had you known who it was that you were saying it to, you would never have said those things. So in the one particular example is if, uh, this, this person, it's on, on, all on social media, all the examples that are on social media because that's very often where people say or do things and then immediately regret it and there's no turning back. And you can eat yourself alive because it is so incredibly embarrassing that here you are and you've put something out there into the public arena and everybody knows about it and you've made an absolute fool of yourself. In this particular case, so this, this woman posts that she really does not like Java as a, as a um, what do you call it, computer program. So she really doesn't like Java. So somebody immediately replies to her, and I'm assuming that this person must not have known who she is, and says, well, if you learn how to use it, you'll enjoy it. And then she writes back, in fact, I am a professor of computer science, and I 
teach people how to use Java. <laughs> so, you know, it's a little bit embarrassing when suddenly you realize that you've put a comment into the wrong space. Much, much worse when a person has something negative to say about a particular person, thinks that who they are sharing it with is a confidant, turns out that who they're sharing it with is in fact the person that they were talking about. That's heavy. That's regret. So regret is not like, oh man, I, I really shouldn't do this. You know, like, I don't know why I'm always using examples of diet today, but the regret that people often have around diet is it's not real regret. It's like, I know I really shouldn't be doing this or I'm going to regret this later. When exactly? When exactly are you going to regret it? In 15 years or the next time you're at the nutritionist? When exactly? Not not now. You're not going to regret it now. And the truth of the matter is that as much as you regret it, the chances are that you probably will also binge eat at some point in the future. That's what it's going to be. Regret is an experience where a person says, I can't go back there anymore. It's too hard. It's too painful. It drags me down too much. That's real regret. So step one of the Teshuvah process is a very real thing, to take responsibility and say, I did this. I did this. I should never have done it. And therefore, because I take that responsibility, therefore I actually feel regret. As long as a person has that addendum of but then you don't really feel regret. But the moment a person says, my gosh, I should never have done what was I thinking? That's crazy. It's the kind of regret talking to a person recently who uh, lost a fortune of money. And the way that they lost a fortune of money was simple. Following a particular business path that was not healthy, but being blind to all the signs. And we all know that this is what happens. I mean, it's not, not unique. It's what happens to many people. People get themselves involved in financial outlay, business opportunities, selling or buying of property, whatever the case is, being blind to signs. People do the same with relationships. They're blind to the signs that tell them this is not where you should be going. And then they go down there. So here's a person who lost a fortune of money. That regret, that's true regret. True regret means that the person never, ever, ever wants to have to go through that again. They never want to go back to that place. It's not where the person will say, well, listen, I lost all my money, but, well, the but doesn't help it's not going to get you your money back. fact of the matter is you have bills to pay at the end of the month. So excusing the behavior is the worst thing that you can do right now. The most important step going forward would be to say, okay, so I need to learn to be more street smart, to be more um, diligent, to be more thorough, whatever the particular thing is that I have to learn. So that's the second step of Teshuvah. The one grows out of the other. The first step is it's me. I'm the one who's responsible. I did this. I've got to own it. Therefore, I feel ashamed. I feel absolutely terrible about the fact that I behaved this particular way. And when you feel terrible about something, that's when you're assured that you actually do something to change it. So long as the person doesn't feel terrible, as they say in, 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 in Torah language, knowing the illness is half the cure. Until the person is willing to accept the fact that they're sick, they don't go looking for help to get better. As long as the person doesn't feel that this is a bad place and I'm in a toxic environment, then nothing really starts to change. Maybe you can add to that. Maybe you've got an example of that. Maybe you can relate this to something personal or maybe you can guess what the next step of Teshuvah is. So whichever insight it is that you'd like to share with us, 34519 would be the number to SMS or 0621482374 to WhatsApp. And you can tweet at Chai FM or tweet at Rabbi Shish. 
Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So if you have just tuned in, it's Fresh Thinking. you with Rabbi Shishler preparing for Yom Kippur. Today we're talking about the concept of Teshuvah. Trying to translate it into really, really practical terms because sometimes teshuva immediately evokes some kind of abstract spiritual path that people are trying to go on and perhaps can't attain. So what we've covered so far is we've learned from a WhatsApp, unfortunately it was unsigned, that teshuva means to return, that it's not trying to repair or trying to move to a new position, but it's actually trying to rediscover who we truly are. I've also mentioned two important steps, that the first step of teshuva is to take ownership to say, this was me, I did this, I did this and I can't excuse it. Therefore, that would bring you to the second point, which would be the feeling of regret. And regret is incredibly healthy in the right dosage and at the right times. If a person walks around their whole life feeling regret consistently, that can't be healthy. And nevertheless, they say that King David, if you look in Psalms, in the 51st Psalm, he says, my sin is always before me. And likewise, the Talmud uses the expression and says, people who are off the spiritual path are consistently filled with regret. So ongoing regret is not necessarily a bad thing, but obsession with regret would be unhealthy. So let's make sure that we don't get obsessed with regret. And let's also make sure that that's not the step that we get stuck in. I think a lot of people are good at that. We call it Jewish guilt. Ever heard of this thing? Jewish guilt? Yes? (laughs) It's a common ailment that afflicts many Jewish people. And why I call it an ailment is because Jewish guilt is great, again, in the correct dosage. But when you live a life of guilt, it does not necessarily mean that you're going to do anything differently. In fact, a lot of people think they're quite pious because they feel guilty about the things that they've done wrong. I know I get it a lot, and I'm sure other rabbis get it as well. Oh, rabbi, I feel so guilty. I haven't been to shul. I haven't put on tefillin. I'm so, I feel terrible that you're seeing me dressed like this. You're seeing me eating in this particular place. Well, it's it's great that a person should feel that because that is a sign of sensitivity. And as long as you have that sensitivity, then you're spiritually awake. And that's great. That's fantastic. The only problem is that that's a step in the process that isn't the goal of the process. It's not good enough to land up feeling guilty. It's not good enough to walk around with regret. Regret has to translate into something. Otherwise, we just repeat bad behaviors. So if a person, let's go back to that example, the the new mother, she puts her baby into the bath, the water's too hot, that regret is going to translate immediately into action. She doesn't have to think twice about it. From here on forward, every single time she gives a child a bath, she's going to be so sure that that bath is not too hot. It's it's really simple. That regret turns directly into action. In many other areas of life, regret slash guilt doesn't necessarily turn into action. And so if I go back to the Rambam, to Maimonides, he says that there are two fundamental principles that we have to have. In fact, it's throughout Judaism, the two fundamental principles of the Teshuvah process. The one is the regret over the past, but the other is the resolution for the future. If you have regret without resolution, that's just a waste of energy. And if you try and make resolution without regret, you have no guarantee that you'll be able to keep the resolution. So the two go hand in hand. So step one is to take ownership of what I did wrong and acknowledge it's me and I can't excuse it. Step two is therefore to feel the shame that happens that is associated with that. It's not a bad thing to feel guilt. It's not a bad thing to feel regret. It's not a bad thing to feel shame. It is a bad thing to get stuck there. 
And so the next step is always a step of resolution. So what am I going to do differently? And people don't realize this, but the truth is by the time we hit Yom Kippur, we've already had one whole month of Elul, which is supposed to prepare us. We are now currently in the middle of a period called the 10 days of Teshuvah. All of that is to give us an opportunity to deal with taking ownership, to deal with regret. By the time we get to Yom Kippur, we want to get to the higher states of Teshuvah. And one of the higher states of Teshuvah is, so, so what's going to be different? How's this coming year going to look different? And there too we make a terrible mistake. You know what mistake we make? Over-enthusiasm. People become so overzealous. It's Yom Kippur. I'm feeling highly inspired. The chazan has hit that high note. The rabbi just gave a powerful sermon. And I'm currently on my knees on the floor in one of the most incredible moments of Jewish prayer. That's it. I'm going to change my whole life. I'm going to go to shul more, kasha my home, start keeping Shabbos, send my children to a different school and wear a yarmulke, tzitzis, beard, shaitel, whatever the particular case might be. Overzealous resolutions are toxic just as much as no resolution is toxic. And the reason for that is when a person makes no resolution, well, then you're stuck. I mean, then nothing happens. Then you, no, no change ever comes from just regret. No change ever comes just from guilt. You have to have some kind of a plan of action. But if the so-called plan of action includes all kinds of things that are just too much, then you'll collapse under the weight of those idealistic resolutions. And that's just as unhealthy. You know how often it is that you see people get really carried away with themselves because they're trying so hard, because they feel so bad, because they're driven by guilt or because they feel they have to play catch up and they want to just do everything at once. I'm not saying it will never work. There are isolated cases where it does work, but generally speaking, it usually fails. Generally speaking, we're not cut out for that. Generally speaking, we need to take things in bite-sized increments, and that doesn't necessarily, that's not an excuse. It's not an excuse to procrastinate. It's not an excuse to dodge things that you know you really should be working on, but there are as I say, there are isolated incidents when you need something which is completely dramatic and drastic and you have to make a clean break, like Devorah's SMS earlier about the person who's in an abusive relationship. There you don't deal with that in increments. There you've got to make a, a radical decision. And I suppose in, ma- in many mitzvahs, when a person first undertakes a mitzvah, it is a radical decision. When the person first decides, I'm going to keep kosher, that's radical and that's fine. You don't have to do it incrementally. But you don't say, I'm going to do Shabbos and kosher and because that's where we overwhelm ourselves. It's better sometimes to, or most times, it's better to have something which is doable than to have something which is impressive. We're not here to impress anybody. The, pro, the process of teshuva is not so that the person sitting next to you thinks, wow, you had a really meaningful Yom Kippur. Hey, I can see the transformation on your face or I could see the calluses on your knuckles from beating your chest so hard or whatever the particular case is. We're not here to impress anybody. It's between us and God. And... In a certain regard, it's between us and us. So the goal is not to look for the impressive. The goal is look for the, to look for the transformative. And transformation, believe it or not, big things happen through small steps. So when we talk about the next step of Teshuva, which is resolution, rather take a resolution that you know is going to be sustainable, either because it's for a period of time or because it's small enough that you know it's not going to overwhelm you, rather than saying, this is the new me. Have you seen? I went through a Yom Kippur and I came out on the other side as if it was a dry cleaners, and now I'm a totally different person. And please, at the breaking of the fast, do not speak any lotion horror because I refuse to participate. It's nice. And sometimes it can be that transformative. If a person gets deeply in touch with their soul, then you can change everything in one shot. But on average, it's 
a distraction. It's a distraction from what we should be doing. What we should be doing is moving forward. But moving forward, even one step of moving forward is 100% valuable. That's often our problem. We think maybe it's not big enough. Maybe it's not impressive enough. Maybe God's not going to like it. Maybe it's not valuable enough. And it's really important that we remind ourselves any step that takes us forward, any step in a direction towards where we should be is healthy. So step one, take ownership of what we did wrong. Step two, feel regret over the fact that we did wrong. Step three, make a practical resolution about what's going to be different in the coming year. Anybody got a step four for us? Maybe there's a step four to Teshuva that you could offer us on 345 by SMS or 062-148-2374 by WhatsApp. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Okay, so wrapping it up, and hopefully this has been useful, and uh, hopefully you have some tools that you can actually use over Yom Kippur where we are supposed to try and confront our deepest, darkest secrets on the one hand and our deepest, richest element of our soul on the other and it's unfortunate when people spend the entire Yom Kippur focused on the dark secrets when really it's an opportunity to focus on the richness of our own soul which brings me to the fourth point so what have we got so far in terms of practical application of Teshuva we've got this number one take ownership of what you did wrong it was me it's my fault number two feel the searing pain of shame feel the regret that's okay Feel the guilt. It's all right. Just don't get stuck there because now you need to move to step number three. Step number three is to make a resolution going forward. But step number four is incredibly important because it will color our vision not only of the process but also of ourselves. Often, when a person's gone through all of those three steps, say, okay, so I did things wrong and, and, and I really regret having done them wrong and now I've got to move forward, you do tend often to think of yourself as – I'm not in the good books. I'm, I'm a failure. I let myself down. I let the team down. I let God down. I let my own soul down. I'm distant. I'm disconnected. I'm not spiritual enough or any one of a whole bunch of different variations on that particular theme, which somehow the Jewish community seems to be really good at doing, really good at um, putting ourselves down and focusing on the negative. So step four is this. Step four is to remind ourselves, and that was that WhatsApp right at the beginning about Teshuva, meaning to return to the essence of who you are. Step number four is I am not what I do. Of course, what I do affects me, and it affects me sometimes very deeply and might also affect other people and might affect our relationships very profoundly. But I am not what I have done. There's a part of myself that perhaps I'm not in touch with on a regular basis, but that's who I really am. That's who I truly am. In fact, the ultimate goal of Yom Kippur is to get in touch with that part of ourselves. And here's an interesting thought that uh, perhaps we don't always think about. You know, go back to the example of the diet. So the person says, I know I shouldn't have eaten that, but I wasn't feeling myself that day. I was down. I was distracted. It was a hard time. Now, it's not a great excuse on the one hand, but on the other hand, it reflects something that's true. The real me is more focused. The real me is dedicated to this particular healthy lifestyle. The real me didn't want to lose out on health just because of a binge. But it happens from time to time that I'm just not in touch with the real me. In the language of the Talmud, a person never sins unless they, they had temporary insanity. It's not the real me. 
And so Yom Kippur is not only the time to shed negative behavior, toxic relationships, things that have bogged us down and to make resolution about going forward. But most importantly, it's an opportunity for us to reflect and say, none of that is who I really am. So now let me start to live more of who I really am. Let me invest so much time, energy, and effort in trying to be my essence, in trying to touch my soul, in trying to express the positive side of who I am, that I don't actually have time or energy or interest in doing any of those things that made me feel that intense regret from last year. And so the final step of Teshuvah is an incredibly powerful step, which is the step of saying, going forward, I'm going to look at myself with a new found sense of value and appreciation that I'm that valuable, that that kind of behavior that I got involved in previously is just below me. And I think that might well work. So I want to wish you, Gemar Chasim may be a meaningful and an easy fast, may it be an opportunity to get rid of the darkness in our lives and to touch the depths of the richness of our soul. And may this be the launch pad of Hashem's greatest blessings, please God, for the coming year.